With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. Welcome to episode seven of YWeb3, Navigating Frontier Tech. Uh, we're back with another episode with the latest developments and headlines from the rapidly evolving world of frontier tech and digital innovation. In today's episode, we'll dive through some of the intriguing developments. There's a call to action for a social media platform to tackle fraudulent crypto investment ads aiming to keep users safe. We'll explore high-stakes trial that's capturing attention and adding an extra layer of complexity to the crypto world due to its potential implications accompanied by the mounting legal costs involved. Transparency will take the center stage as a tech company's request for secrecy around its phone hacking technology raises eyebrows. Super excited for that one. Shifting focus will shine a light on the FBI's efforts in seizing crypto assets from scammers, highlighting the fight against cybercrime. Uh, a mysterious accumulation of Bitcoin worth a significant amount, billions, uh, has questioning the origins and motives. Uh, we think we've figured out who it is, though. Additionally, we'll explore how the music industry is adopting AI-generated music, striving to maintain fairness for artists and creators. As we go forward, we'll take a closer look at decentralized social network that's making waves, generating impressive fees shortly after its launch. So join us today as we talk through our, with our new hosts on the YWeb3 Navigating Frontier Tech. Uh, so let's go ahead and, and start with uh, you. We've got some amazing uh, guest hosts today with us. Uh, Vivek, would you mind giving us a quick intro of your background and, and uh, how you got here today? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for having me uh, today, Jay. And uh I'm grateful to be on with uh, both Christian and uh, Alex. I'm looking forward to it. So um, my name is uh, Vivek Jairam. Uh, I'm a, an attorney and entrepreneur. Um, I've been practicing law for about 20 years, primarily in the areas of intellectual property and corporate law. Um, I started my own practice after several years in big law, started my own practice in 2009 called uh, Jairam Law, uh, where we really focus on fashion, new technologies, and art. Those are sort of the three big industries that we hit. And uh, so in that time, um, you know, the early days, there was a lot of focus on, you know, stuff you could and could not do on social media, turned into some mobile app development, you know, cryptocurrency. And I guess for the last five years or so, uh, there's been, you know, a, a, a focus on blockchain startups and uh, all the things that have sort of emanated from that most recently, um, the sort of uh, generative AI boom. Uh, so it's great to be here. Happy to talk about all this new stuff and uh, hear some perspectives from some pros like Christian and Alex. Awesome. Yeah. No, well, thank you so much for, for coming on. And it's always fun to have a lawyer. We get some, a little, little bit of free legal advice, but there is no legal advice. Don't, don't take any of this. Uh, we're, we're just here. So, uh, especially investment advice. For anybody, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Christian, how are you, sir? I'm very good. Thanks for uh, the intro, Jay. Uh, also for the good words. Uh, so happy to be here to uh, give a bit of my knowledge, especially on the tech side, since I'm a technical co-founder. So my main, uh, let's say, uh, place of work. It's into the deep tech of crypto. Uh, I've been in the space probably a bit over 10 years in the crypto space, which I hold my PhD in privacy enhancing technology. That's my field of expertise. Uh, and currently I'm building this RPC infrastructure, which is very focused on decentralization and security, privacy, uh, again, with the compliance on top of it, because it's very important to have them all in the same bucket. Uh, and very happy to, to join today's uh, talk and to see how we can uh, bring some light in some topics that we just saw a few minutes ago presented by Jay. Looking forward. Awesome. Amazing. Um, Alex, how are you, sir? Hello, hello. Uh, it's Alex. I am a co-founder and CEO of Charmverse. Charmverse is a um, web-free community operations platform. Uh, some call us the web-free notion or web-free discourse. Um, I have been in tech for uh, yeah, 20 plus years, starting off as, as a software developer, building uh, software that you put on military drones. Um, after the, doing that for a while, um, started my com first company, uh, and then second, uh, and then now Chamverse is the third. Uh, my first two companies are uh, actually AI company. Uh, actually, the second one 
happened to be named uh, X.AI, uh, which after it got acquired, Elon eventually bought the uh, the domain. So now, uh, <laughs> you know, Elon is using X.AI, uh, strange well. And uh, so, yeah, excited to be here. Love to talk more about crypto and AI at the same time. You, you were ahead of the game, ahead of the curve. And, you know, it's amazing. You know, everyone's like suddenly like, chat GDP, AI is here. And it's like, for someone like you, it's like, no, I've been, I've been doing this for like decades. Like it's, it's, it's <laughs> it is, you know, it came alive slightly. Um, so it, it's interesting to hear. And, and, and yeah, it's probably, probably pretty weird for so much time you spent on X.AI to now have Elon be like, no, this is mine. <laughs> Fabulous. Guys. So uh, again, the, the goal of today is is conversational. Uh, we really want to walk through articles that we're seeing in the press. And the, the reason we do this is we have experts, true experts that are working every single day in uh, frontier tech, in Web3, blockchain, uh, cryptocurrencies, AI, and, and everything else uh, to actually be able to help expra- extrapolate and explain, you know, kind of how these things are, are truthful or where there's just a little, little bit of hype uh, mixed in from the journalists. So let's start with, uh, I think, one of the most important ones. Um, you know, cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain was kind of in a tough way after Luna last year. Um, you know, we've been we've been suffering from, you know, are we going to have a crypto winter? Where's things going to be? Um, and then kind of the, the the poster boy for for cryptocurrencies, you know, Sam Bankman, uh, suddenly this whole, you know, thing unraveled and it became a big deal and, uh, you know, quite a bit happened. And so now uh, Sam Bankman uh, plans to use a defense strategy, citing advice from his new lawyers, uh, to argue good faith in his case. Uh, he's attending to plead not guilty to his recent indictment, uh, aiming to show that his actions, including fund loans, uh, message deletions, were based on his legal counsel's advice. Uh, Sam Bankman's legal, legal defense uh, revealed the strategy through a letter uh, asserting his, his reliance on counsel's advice uh, as relevant to intent. Again, as, as I am not a warrior, but I do understand I, we, we have a, uh, a VC fund. YWL says a, a cryptocurrency, or not a cryptocurrency, but we have a, a traditional uh, VC fund aimed around uh, Web3, blockchain, and frontier tech. Um, I, I've spent a lot of time with lawyers in this space and have done a number of startups. You know, uh, Vivek, I'm going to kind of jump on you for this one, but I, I generally think that the easiest way to not get in trouble is never touch client funds. Um, it, it, seems to be relatively, it seems to be relatively simple, except for cryptocurrency companies uh, seem to be confused about this. <laughs> yeah, so if, let's back up for a second in terms of the, the beginning of uh, your question. So he's, he's relying, you know, he's been charged with fraud, right? So, um, you know, and the, the long and short of it is, you know, if you invest, if you put your money with FTX, um, you know, obviously him and the company uh, did some advertising and marketing to reach you and you ended up, you know, uh, trusting your money with them. And then if he's using your client money for things that you never agreed to have it used for, right, in writing, um, such as funding other ventures, other funds, things like that, right, um, that would, you know, seems to be a pretty good case for fraud. Right now, what he's arguing in this, you know, in this story that you're, you're you're referring to, is that well, you know, in order to 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 be charged and be convicted for fraud on a criminal level, there needs to be some what we call you know the Latin term is mens rea, but some state of mind. Right, you had to sort of intend to do something bad. If you didn't really intend to do something bad, but something bad happened, right? Well, then maybe you breached a contract, maybe you breached your fiduciary duty, you could be sued in civil court. But if you're getting prosecuted uh, by you know, the U.S. Attorney's Office, which is what is happening here, um, usually requires uh, some level of intent. So what he's saying is, hey, listen, I didn't have any intent to defraud anybody because before I did anything or before I sort of executed and implemented you know, the FTX business model, I asked my lawyers if I could do this and it sounds like what he's saying is they presumably said, yeah, you can, right? Um, usually, you know, Jay, I will say um, two things on this point, right? We haven't seen the evidence and I would love for all the listeners need to understand we're talking about a federal crime and a federal case here. So you got to pay attention to the evidence, not necessarily the headlines and the pundits and things like that, right? So as a first step, right, when we are talking about an indictment in federal court, right, the U.S. Attorney's Office getting involved, why is it that federal prosecutors rarely lose? Rarely, right? And it's largely because they don't really indict unless they have the evidence to win their case, right? There, there's a 
big, 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 big universe of investigations that are ongoing at any given time, right? Ones we know about, other ones we don't know about, right? But the ones that are ultimately reduced to an indictment, right? Mm -hmm. That's a smaller universe. And usually that's the universe of crimes that the prosecutor believes that they have a, a good deal of evidence uh, in order to win, right? And you might yep. say, well, you know, aren't there, don't people get convicted of things all the time for things they didn't do? Well, yes, people do. And, you know, wrongful convictions are a real thing uh, in the U.S. And there's a lot of great organizations like the Innocence Project that are you know, dealing with those cases all the time. But by and large, on the federal side, particularly for financial crimes, right, the feds probably have some good evidence before issuing an indictment, right? So that's something to bear in mind for everybody to bear in mind, right? On the advice of counsel, right, you know, usually that kind of defense can be effective if you have good evidence. You know, if you've got an, a letter from your lawyer that says, yeah, your business model is to take money over here and put it over here, park it over here for a while before you pay these people back. Okay. That might be, that might go uh, to some distance to helping him in terms of like what the ultimate penalty might be, what the ultimate sentencing might be, right? Hey, he's not, he can't be that bad of an actor. He was just relying on his lawyer's uh, you know, counsel. But is it enough to exonerate him from these crimes the evidence will bear it out, right? And, and we've seen articles that say there are text messages, there are emails uh, between Bankman Freed and others within FTX that seem to suggest that, like, he's moving shit around, <laughs> like, you know, pretty frivolously, right? Yeah. But we got to look and see what actually bears out at trial, right? Is, is, is the direction that he was giving to others on his team really only uh, with advice from his lawyers? And there is a chance, depending on what those what that advice was, you know, we've seen this now in the Trump indictment, right? If if the if the if the advice given by the lawyers itself rises to some kind of fraudulent conduct, well, then those lawyers could end up being indicted as co-conspirators to the entire fraud, right? So um, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, you know, the the thing that I love about your statement is, you know, there's there's a lot of evidence that has to be, you know, played out. And we're going to see the, um, they're going to broadcast this thing and, and it's going to be a, a big court case because it involves billions of dollars of, you know, and, and people's life savings were, were put on FTX. Um, one of the things that I think is very interesting and, and also telling of, of where this case is going um, is that Sam was out on, on bond and, and he's now uh, violated those terms. So he has trouble, uh, you know, understanding legal documents, uh, clearly some, something there. So it, I think it shows a, a pattern. Um, again, I, I'm not a lawyer. I, I, I don't you know, know anything. I'm very familiar with the case. Uh, I've, I've spoken to a lot of insiders uh, around FTX. And, you know, I think it's going to be very hard for, for Sam to get out of this because there's, there's clearly intent. Um, you know, he, he's saying he's of sound mind and body, um, you know, the, the drugs that he was on and, and they're extensive. We now know his, uh, his routine. He's on quite a bit of, of Adderall and other drugs. Um, so he's able to stay awake and pay attention. Um, but I think it really is going to be interesting to see as this case progresses, you know, what, what the level of fraud really was because when you're co-mingling funds and that was what was, you know, at the base of this is, you know, people were depositing where they thought was in Alameda, um, you know, but it was actually FTX and he had control over FTX because that's, that's his company. And so there's, you know, th those are kind of the disclosures as we know, setting up a fund, like, you know, there's gotta be a, a firewall between these things. You, you cannot, you know, not disclose that, Hey, we're, we're co-mingling funds. So yeah. that'll be an I interesting one. And you hit it on your head. I mean, whether you're a lawyer, a an accountant, um, fund manager, right? These are the positions that uh, often, you know, what comes along with it is 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 a, is a fiduciary and other obligations to to act responsibly, right? And I just want to, one one last thing I'd say on this, Jay, is you know, the the press loves to make this about crypto, right? Yeah, um, this is not a crypto issue. Yeah, and I, you know, if I think back to actually the among the first clients that I ever you know worked with in my career, I was working at a very big corporate law firm. You know, we were defending uh, the, you know, all the fallout from uh, Jack Grubman uh, way back then, the the Citibank uh, you know money manager, um, which is not that different than you know what we saw a few years later, Bernie Madoff, right? Yeah. It, those were not crypto situations. So, like, you know. Elizabeth Holmes did what she did and we're not giving up on biotech. So like, I think, yeah. I think, you know, it's, 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 it's important for us to see that there are fraudsters in every industry. Right. And if it is a classic Ponzi, which this seems like it might have been uh, right. That's really what it is. And um, that's where the prosecutor's focus is going to be. The press might be focusing on, you know, cryptocurrencies and, you know, blockchain and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's just like, what was he allowed to do with the money and what was he doing with the money? When I say he, you know, it's because he is sort of, 
the, the, the chief executive officer, the, he's an officer and director of the company. And so that's why he is getting prosecuted. Although there may have been um, a whole, you know, group of people at FTX that were involved. And that's also part of what we're going to see uh, play out at the trial. And, and, and right now the defense lawyers, uh, the, the lawyers that are, are kind of, you know, putting FTX back together and, and trying to figure out are burning about $1.5 million a day. Um, so about $50 million a month are going into going into this case. Um, so it, it is large, it is extravagant. And, and, you know, the one thing I always say about, uh, you know, legal cases is at the end of the day, the warriors win. <laughs> you know, that's like, you know, right, wrong, indifferent, you know, there, there's, you know, there's a lot at stake here. Um, and I think I just say for anyone who's lost money in FTX or had money locked up, you know, I, I hope you get it back very soon. And, and, you know, this is one of those things where, um, you know, regulatory wise, they, they were following, you know, a lot of laws, uh, but behind a couple of closed doors, there was a couple of bad actors and that's a really hard thing to spot. Um, so it, it's very sad for the industry. And I agree. It's, it's not a crypto issue. There's, there was no scam coin, you know, kind of rug pool here. This was like a, a true, um, true failure of, of governance uh, and, and oversight. So, Alex, you've 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 raised a lot of funds. You've done a bunch of this stuff. Um, you know, it, it, to me, it's just common sense. Like, you know, when someone says, "Hey, I'd like to invest in your project. I want to, you know, I, I want to do this." Like, it, that's not your piggy bank. Like, I, I would never think to give myself a loan of of investor funds. That's the thing. Is it seemed so basic it is unthinkable of like the, the the scale and the level of what happened and you know all the anecdotes that comes out again i i, I follow tertiary on the, on the side like the the cases but yeah just a little tip is a fact that comes out it's like oh yeah we don't have a accounting system it's like yeah it's all in excel sheets and stuff like that managing you know billions of dollars it's like what in in what planets is this happening and, and kind of to your point Where's the governance? Where are the people that are supposed to be at least bringing some tiny version of guardrail uh, on what what should be happening, what shouldn't be, and and, and the amount of uh, invested dollars that actually goes into the project, which is uh, mm-hmm. it's is mind boggling. Yeah, absolutely. So so jumping over. Um, one of the now you know that was a, a, a scam. We'll, we'll not label you know what FTX is right now, but um, clearly there's issues there. But there are a number of scams. You know rug pulls. Uh, you know coins and and you know some are meme coins and and some are designed to be rug pulls. Some are actually just really poorly written contracts. And so right now, uh, and I think it's good for for countries to to take uh, you know action against these. And so uh, Thailand is warning Meta, Facebook, or whatever they're calling themselves nowadays, um, that they have to kind of get it, get ahead of these these advertisements. They have to get ahead of the, you know, you cannot promote a scam coin, you cannot pr- promote cryptocurrencies that, that aren't, you know, regulated in, in certain ways, um, or they're going to be entirely shut off uh, Meta and Facebook uh, from Thailand. I I think that's a win. <laughs> I think that there's, you know, to me, I'm, I'm a kind of, sorry, Alex, I'm kind of an anti-social media guy at this point, uh, having a teenager and, and, a, and an 11 year old. Um, I, but, but the, the side effects of this, I think are really relevant that, that there has to be, um, some gatekeeper looking for these things. And I'm not saying, you know, hey, any cryptocurrency, but there has to be validity. And I think part of this is these dark teams. You know, you don't know who's behind it. It pops up. You know, I, I see all the time when I'm on Twitter, like, oh, uh, you know, SpaceX token launching and it's using, e- you know, Elon's, you know, uh, face and everything else. And I'm like, how do, how do they allow this? You know, how does this happen? You know, Christian, I'm just going to jump to you real quick on, on this one because you know, you, you understand smart contracts better than anyone. You understand, you know, blockchain and, and the, 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 you know, intricacies of, of what's a safe smart contract and what's not. You know, what would be the best way for, you know, a, a company like Facebook to audit? Um, is it even possible for them to audit these, these coins before they're, they're listed or, or advertised? Yeah, there are technical means how, how to do it. I think the, the bigger concern for, for them is how to map that specific smart contract to the ads that it's actually actively being pushed by the platform, right? Because it happens with other scams, not specifically uh, in Web3 and tokens and meme coins and stuff. I've seen this back in my uh, government position uh, in defense when I'm watching, uh, watching of cases uh, you have this behavior where it's very uh, obfuscated, so it's hard for the people that it's being like broadcast by the ad. Even might be a platform that is being hacked, and actually the the system that is pushing ads, it's not uh, it's not aware of the ads that is being pushing. So it's a bit more complex for them to to see who is behind of this. But once you you get your hand on the smart contract, 
there are technical solutions that can be used in order to see the what actually the code does in a very broad, let's say, manner. Uh, and I think the way how this can be helpful in the space is to make it very uh, simple for the general user because if you look over the scams uh, that happened or uh, rock pulls, you'll see the majority of the users are the ones that don't have specific knowledge in the space. So if you make it very hard to understand it or to use it, you need to expect probably below 5% rate of those using it. So that's why I think the ones like the channels that access uh, the, the blockchain, interact with the blockchain, should enforce those measures towards it. And we've seen different projects out there that are starting to do this uh, from honeypot protection, uh, token sniffers. They can look on the smart contract and tell you if it's a, a buy tax, a sell tax, or if it's a honeypot, you send the money in and you cannot put it out. Right. So there are means how to do it. But I think one big challenge is to educate the community how to use them and what's the role of them. But a giant like like Meta or any social platform, I think they're able to, to integrate it. I think it's just a matter of priority and how they how they are a thing to be synced with those, let's say, ads and what is pushing. But obviously, once you start to do that, you'll see a, a decrease in revenue. So probably that's the case where where most, uh, let's say, big platforms are not pushing this as a priority. That's my my take on the on the case. You know, and I love that that concept. And, and Alex, I'm going to ask you as an as an AI expert because you know right now if I go ahead and and it used to be kind of science fiction, but if I made a, a, a kind of a video or you know recorded you know one of my kids and there was you know music in the background, you know it would just it would just it would just play. And and nowadays you know you you do that and, and upload it to YouTube, they'll flag it you know and say nope. We, we recognize the song, we recognize what's on the screen, and, and we're going to go ahead and, and you know, the, the tools exist, you know, to do with music, to do it with, you know, movies, to do it with, all, you know, a lot of different content. Uh, we see YouTube and, and everyone else kind of, of managing this. Blockchain's transparent, you know, it wouldn't, shouldn't they be able to design some tools to be able to do the exact same thing of like, okay, you're advertising a coin, point to the contract of which you want people to mint on and, and allow them to audit that. Yeah, I mean, I think, so actually, I would step back quite a bit, right, and, and talk about everything comes down to actually economics, right? If you look back from the, actually, one of the first um, real-world application of AI is uh, spam filters for emails, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a single, simple classification, like, is this email spam, not spam? And for the longest time, like, we, we as a society had enormous problem with, with spam mail. Right. For, for us old enough to remember that, right? This is, you know, whatever spam, um, so, uh, spam filter software that you buy, uh, the scammer, like, learn to figure that out. And they, like, it's, it's a cat and mouse game. They're like, you know, because, because it's almost costless to send another email to spam you. Right. Yeah. So it's easy to do. And therefore, they can send billions of emails to, 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 to different accounts. It would be worth it. Now, until, Google came up being able to figure out that, you know, using Gmail and using, you know, many millions of people using Gmail and they're marking emails as spam. And all of a sudden is that, that cat and mouse game got automated, uh, in, for the most case, right? That, that, that cat and mouse game all of a sudden, it is not nearly as economical to set, to send spam out anymore. Hmm. And I mean, of course we still get spam now and here and there, but like it's effectively eliminated, right? In, in, in email. Like it's not really a big problem nowadays when you and I have an email account, right? Yeah, not what it used to be. Exactly. Well, not what it used to be. And it's very much the same thing when it comes to a blockchain scam. Because I think contract is one thing, but it is a multifaceted thing, right? Like, so I'm on Twitter. Like the second I start talking about some some project, immediately there's a bunch of fake, you know, profile and have you know ten thousand followers, right? So like, look legit, except when you compare it to the real account, it's like you know, a hundred thousand followers. So it is, they misspelled the name and so on and so forth. And those are not, those have nothing to do with contract and, and it's all reputation and, and so on and so forth. Um, and I think the problem right now and how early Web3 is, is that um, in for, for spamming you in emails, you know, the best you can do is like get you to click on the link and eventually six clicks later, somehow you give away your, your, your credit card info, info or your bank account, right? For crypto, your email address or your identity is also your wallet of all your money and all your asset in the same place, 
potentially, right? Yeah. Um, so it just makes that economics so much better for the spammer, for the, for, the, for the schema that like they only have to get one and then, you know, it's a big score compared to email in, in, yeah. in the old days. Um, so I think like, yeah, if it comes down to it, it's like what are the multiple things that we can do you know, yeah, recognizing contract address is one of those, but I think it's, it, it is a multifaceted thing, and a lot of it is actually human. It's human engineering, or like mm-hmm. how how can you tell like this this person or this account or this page that people are putting up in front of you are actually real before you connect your wallet. Um, so yeah, I think it's a multi layer. Yeah, and I, I think it highlights one of the biggest issues I have right now in Web three is it's not safer. Like the idea of self custody. I think if you're, you know, if you're Christian, like you know, I, I I would trust him that he can manage his coins. Like I I, I struggle. I really do. Um, you know, I, I I like the idea of of custodians. I like the idea that that someone is someone else is, is liable, especially if we're talking large amounts. And and I know same as you guys probably get calls. I get calls. I've I've seen everything of people losing thousands uh, all the way up to over a hundred million dollars. Um, I, I've seen funds lost. Um, and so it's and, and some of these are some of the incredibly competent people. Um, and it just happens. It happens so quickly and there's there's so many things. But you know, jumping back to, to this this issue, you know, trying to kick an entire, you know, Facebook out of out of Thailand, I mean it must be serious. And so, you know, Vivek, um, you know, Clearly, I, I would say that, that Meta has the money to to investigate it. Um, I don't think that they're, you know, they're maliciously ignoring it. Um, but you know, if they if the technology is available, I mean, they, they can be compelled to at least put in some steps to warn, you know, people that, you know, cryptocurrencies are generally more dangerous than, than other, you know, like you know, buy a hairbrush or a, you know, a makeup ad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I, and I appreciate your perspective, Alex. Those are interesting. I think that, you know, a lot of this comes down to this, this section two thirty issue. Right. That that I think um, we've all been like kind of waiting for some movement on for like probably almost a decade at this point. Right. Where it's like to what degree can these, you know, platforms or marketplaces or, you know, uh, social media, you know, uh, sites or whatever, to what degree can they be responsible for the activity of the users? Right. And, you know, for a long time, we were on the innovation train of, hey, let's, let's, let's just let them build and let the people come and do whatever they want. And if somebody does something bad, we will just go after that person, right? Um, and I think we all, I think to, to, to some degree, I think the culture and I think at least the American society is probably ready for some more regulation around that, right? We, we maybe tried it, this sort of, uh, Wild West way for a while, and maybe it's you know getting us into a little bit more uh, trouble than than we thought. And you know, Jay, you mentioned you have a thirteen and eleven year old. You know, I got I got a twelve and six year old. So I understand uh, for parents of you know the, these children who are coming of age uh, in this environment, um, th- th- something more needs to be done. I mean, I don't have a solution here today because you know I, where I run into this a lot is really on the intellectual property side, right? Mm-hmm. Because now you've you know counterfeiters have become so remarkably smart and savvy right and so um you know but but if you are smart enough to like build a marketplace and then have people you know traffic and counterfeit goods on that marketplace you know the current law might allow you to shield yourself from a lot of that activity right and so I don't know what it is because I, I also don't, what we also don't want to do is to your point, Jay, if the technology is available, for example, to make meta uh, do a little bit more diligence on the front end before allowing advertisers to release content. Okay. That's great. And, and maybe that's a good solution for like meta, but like, what about, um, you know, the next startup that Alex funds that maybe doesn't have, or, you know, Christian gets involved in that doesn't have the resources of a meta to leverage that technology, right? Then are we sort of stomping on innovation in a way that we also don't want, um, you know, as a, as a community, right? So these are not easy solutions, but like, um, I think we can all agree something has to be done, right? Yeah. Uh, and so I, you know, I, I completely agree. And while it's not part of this this article, or I don't think we have it listed here. You know, we we saw Shibu Inu, who's who's a, a meme token. There's there's no value to it whatsoever outside of you know people wanting it for for some reasons. Um, they decided that that you know a group of anonymous people was going to build their own chain. And and you know again, hey, 
no problem here, um, ex- except for mass levels of incompetence, uh, meaning that they built a bridge. The bridge failed immediately. They they lost over five thousand ETH, and you know they're literally they they posted like, "Oops, we we messed up." But but we're going to keep going, and and we think that it's going to get better over time. And so uh, these are the the kind of issues that I really want to face. Is like this is not what Web three is supposed to be. Um, you know, can anyone build a website? You know, right now Web two, absolutely. Um, but can anyone have you know a financially regulated bank? You know, I, I think that you know consumer protection has to be first, and you know the, just the fact that you can do it doesn't mean that you should do it. And I think we have so many investors that are that are desperate, you know. And I think that that's that issue that we see these these coins prey on is people that are out of desperation that they're looking for the thousand x return. Um, and and we've we've seen this, you know, with with FTX and, and others, you know, people are willing to to make bets, and it turns into gambling uh, more than investments. And you know, I'm not going to get into disclosures and reg tech here because that's that's going to go down the <laughs> different right than what's happened before if, in a bernie madoff situation yeah. all these people right it's just like so maybe part of it though is like this is just the like bumpy road of new technology right because as alex said you know which i i appreciate right hey there need to be some guardrails with like ftx right but i think what the government can do and what they are doing is okay here, we found a big fish, FTX, no guardrails. Let's let's publicly punish them to deter other, you know, entrepreneurs from kind of running their ship the same way as, you know, Sam Bagman Freed, right? Um, so maybe what it's going to take is a few prosecutions against folks who were reaching consumers through Facebook, possibly, right? And maybe then that, because what we've seen in the counterfeiting world, which is not that different from like the financial fraud world, is when you start doing a certain kind of enforcement, the fraudsters don't stop being fraudsters. They just move away into a different kind of fraud, right? So if you see more prosecution, you know, directed and targeted towards, you know, crypto fraud or, you know, something like that, you might essentially be forcing those folks out of crypto, which is, I think, what we want. And, you know, and so that is one other way to to try to deal with this. Yeah, absolutely. So let's pivot over because I think you know talking about uh, transparency and, and security is really important, and, and that's one of the things I want to highlight here in this next article is uh, a phone hacking company, uh, Cellbrite, is urging law enfor- enforcement users to keep their technology uh, confidential. Uh, leaked training video reveals that the company's request for secrecy uh, prompting concerns among legal experts regarding transparency for judicial oversight, uh, de- defendants' rights. Uh, critics argue withholding information about powerful surveillance tool uh, tools hampers defense and public rights um, you know Christian I'm gonna to come to you on this one but I think this really you know I hate the idea of SMS uh, 2FA um, you know and there's a lot of people that still rely on on SMS 2FA and in fact there's there's some websites and, and specifically some some cryptocurrency blockchain ones that, that don't give you the option to use your own authenticator um, but if if this is the case if you Truly, there's this much transparency that they can hack in at the at the core level um, and intercept any of those messages. Then, then SMS two FA is correct me if I'm wrong, just entirely irrelevant and needs to be stopped. Yeah, definitely. And uh, back to the point with the SMS and two factor authentication using that channel. I think a few papers with more than a decade in in the space. And now it's so easy and cheap to perform such an attack like uh, spoofing an SMS gateway. It's so easy and probably the hackers move to a, to a way of approaching like a business because they offer you different models. Uh, even if you're a non-knower, you have no idea how to use it. It's like on the darknet, you pay a few cents and it's per usage or something related to that model, right? So it becomes very accessible even for the scammers and the people that don't understand the technology. Um, and I think we should have ways of choosing the second factor in a more secure way, either hardware or authenticator, even that probably, you know, that some authenticator already have uh, backup in cloud. There is another, let's say possible breach right there, but assuming that the security of that model of backup, it's, it's right. Then probably it's best than having the 2FA as an SMS. Now back with the case uh, with Celebrite, uh, it's a very known place in the space of intelligence, right? I know that they cracked the the phone with with Apple. It was a long story behind when they have evidence and they couldn't manage to to extract it. And this company was able to to extract and not for so long. 
because I, I played with this uh, tool, I've used it in, in my in my work in the government, and uh, at, until at some point it wasn't possible to acquire one on a, let's say, pub, not public company, so only the governments could buy it. Uh, but from, I don't know exactly the, the number of years, it's possible for any company to, to buy it. So mm-hmm. it's probably from that reason, it's obvious that they try to maintain it uh, under the radar. And I think, in my opinion, with public knowledge, uh, the reason of why they're, they're doing that is once you put a light on the technology, obviously, exactly how we mentioned earlier, hackers can look over what are the tools and having eviction methods, how not to use it. For example, um, if you're discovering, let's say, a method of extracting data from a phone, let's say from iOS 12 or 14.1 or whatever version, guess what? Apple will know that. And I think in a matter of weeks, they'll have an update that will no longer be the case of doing that. So if you're making more under the light, then the people that could uh, issue updates and, and fix them, that's on the good side. They can see it and they somehow break the business model because those tools will not work anymore at least in that case. And on the others with hackers and stuff, they see how the data can be extracted and probably that's the case where they want to be a bit hidden, not in the open space to know the technology that's being used behind. But what I can say with the tool that it's uh, under Celebrite, you can basically pull out the data, any type of data that you want, even location uh, where it be not. Because every time you have your phone on, it connects to uh, cells, right? Mobile cells. Uh, and it stores the geolocation of that cells. And that could presume later on, like an evidence, let's say you're, you're saying that you're currently in, in Bucharest, Romania, but at this specific uh, timestamp, you have a geolocation, let's say, uh, I don't know, in France, in Paris, right? So it could be in a useful way, but in the same time, if people are aware how the things are probably um used in that matter they can implement stuff to avoid those so i don't know exactly what's the reason why they're like, suggesting this but i think one way to do it because the more sustainable way is to be transparent and uh, like the strong to be from the quality of the, of the let's say algorithms and it's better to have them public and very strong rather than obscurity like security by obscurity it's something that is not longer let's say uh it works in our our times, right? If you look over, let's say, RSA, which has more like 30 years since it has been built, right? It's still secure to this date. And one of the reasons is that so many people have uh, uh, take a look on their paper on how it works, mathematicians, informations, and lots of stuff, and they couldn't find a method to break it, right? So that's why it's so strong, because it's open and all the smart people can look over and came up with solutions. And if after 30 years there is no solution to break it, it means that it's secure, right? So I think that's the the, the highest level of security in, in the space. So real quick on, on that note, and, and just a question. It, it, if Apple, which generally I, I believe is more secure than than, than uh, Android or any of these other ones, uh, but, you know, Apple's very secrecy, secret about their code and, and whatnot, you know, is, is there, should you just not use, you know, mobile? I, I don't do mobile, you know, uh, blockchain anything like I just like it's got to be on a computer with a VPN and and generally you know you get into air gapping some things and, and everything else but you know is it would you just say don't use cell phones uh, associated with cryptocurrency accounts which kind of defeats parts of the purposes yeah I would say yes and the reason of, of doing that is because the hardware beneath it it's not secure as a hardware wallet right so mobile are very susceptible to different kind of malware and because it relies a lot on the authentication of the user and mostly we're talking here uh, non-biometric. I think the percentage of people that are using biometrics to lock their phone, it's very low. And I think the way how Apple uses the technology with encryption and one key strong here um, of Apple is that they're producing both the software and the hardware and they're able to make a great fit from a security point of view. I know exactly how uh, a chip works, right? It has a key which is being generated inside. So that means that even Apple has no idea of the key inside the chip. And the chip is in a such a way that if you try to uh, stick it or like uh, defoil it, you will overburn itself. So it will 
Rad is the key immediately, right? So those measures are very good, but unfortunately, when you generate, let's say, a mobile uh, wallet, let's say you're using for Bitcoin or whatever, uh, the key that is being generated, unfortunately, is not saved into that specific part of the chip. That's one of the, let's say, drawbacks at the moment. Not to speaking about other Android uh, phones okay. or other, let's say, or stuff. But yeah. I would avoid it and trying to use the, the application that store that data with that key that it cannot cannot be extracted. Authenticators are currently using that key, and even if your your, your backup is in cloud, you're using that key alongside with your uh, password in in, in cloud, which is secure if you're not uh, put it on a stick note on your computer or somewhere where it can be seen. You, you, and, and as always, you know, generally people will be surprised about how poor most people's security is around this stuff for, for ease of, of compliance. But it's true. You know, the, the phones are insecure. Make sure you've got a, a good authenticator and a hardware wallet, no matter what you're doing, uh, just not while you're updating to the cloud. Um, but but the, the, one of the concepts that people had around this, um, Alex, was, was WorldCoin. You know, they're like, hey, we're going to give you a wallet. We're going to scan your iris. Every iris is, is its own individual snowflake. There can never be two of the exact same. And, and it's been, I would say, a, a you know, I don't, I'm not going to say a failure rollout, but it's it's definitely, uh, in, in my opinion, not been a success. Um, you know, a lot of people are very upset with it. We have countries banning it uh, for a variety of reasons, and I think the biggest thing that we've seen is just the scams already around it. You know, that that in poorer countries, um, you know, they they would go line up entire villages and just say, hey. We're, we're going to scan your iris and we're going to give you like a dollar to do this. And then they would take the, the world coin worth $10 and, and go sell that on the market. So it entirely defeats the poise, the, the point of this stuff, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, even actually from some of our earlier discussion, right? Like this being able to tell who you are, that there is real value to that, right? That like that being able to know that you're a real human being uh, when you're posting certain things, there is value to that. And, and the WorldCoin is an attempt to, to tackle that. Um, but then on the fifth side of that is that, yeah, I think we as a society, and it had, this happened before crypto, right? Like um, if you go and survey out there, and then this has happened over, over the years, that you ask if people worry about or do they care about privacy, they always say yes. No, the answer is yes. They care deeply, very highly care, care about piracy. Only until you put something that you have to, they have to trade against it, such as a free account on Facebook, uh, a free email account, or a free really anything, uh, they're more than willing to trade off that, uh, that, that privacy that, uh, that they have. So really should be no surprise that now someone's going to give you hard-earned dollars, you know, $1, $10, $25, and they just want to, you know, scan your eyes. Seems like free money. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so yeah, it, it seems it's just obvious. Of, of course, that's going to happen. And you know, it's it's we're just arbitraging humanness to the poorest country. Yeah. Right? Um, which is just super super skeevy uh, when it comes down to it. Yeah, it, it's a very interesting uh, project. I, you know, I, I don't endorse it in any way. We, we've had people on the show that that have done it, um, and they're like, you know, great, whatever the case is. Uh, but, but the, you know, clearly, I, I would say it's 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 a long way from from mainstream at this point. Um, Let's jump over and, and, and jump back to Bitcoin. Um, you know, the, the true uh, pioneer in the space. The reason, you know, blockchain existed before uh, Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is is the monster whale that kind of moves us through. And uh, we're seeing some of the big institutions finally uh, adopt Bitcoin as as a store of value. And I think that's a win for all of us, whether you're into to meme coins or you're just into blockchain. It's it's good to see institutions adopting Bitcoin. Um, and so what what's interesting is that we have that level of transparency you know, on blockchain. You can you know you can see a wallet. We may not who know who owns it, um, but generally uh, we can see what they're doing, who they're transacting with, and, and there's some really good sleuths uh, that are generally able to figure out who owns these things over time. And if it's a big enough target, uh, not only do they want to identify it, but they want to hack it. Uh, they want to, you know, social engineer it or a variety of things. And so, uh, according to data. Uh, a wallet began accumulating about mid-May, and by late June, it is now the biggest uh, Bitcoin whale in the world, uh, and it has accumulated a little over $3 billion uh, worth of Bitcoin into a single wallet. And I've got a couple questions for the panel here. Number one, why in the world would you ever put that much you know, currency in a single wallet, which is... It, it, I, 
and 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 two, um, have we identified this this person yet? So uh, let's go to to Vivek first. What's your what's your thoughts on seeing this much crypto in a single in a, is it protected by a single twelve world word hash? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, we we we've been talking so much about fraud and hacking. I mean, I, I would think that this, uh, you know, is is pretty. Uh, visible news for a lot of fraudsters out there, right? So yeah, like, like, would you like to be a target? Here you go. Yeah. So there's that. I mean, yeah. I mean, beyond that, um, I, I guess it's 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 there, and it, it and it's it's got that value. I don't know why anybody would need uh, that much, or why anyone would choose to keep that much in one account. Which makes me wonder. I mean, I guess I'll, I'll I would defer to Alex and Christian because the question I would have is, you know, is there is it possible that like that wallet itself showing that amount of value in and of itself is just a fraud? I mean, it's on blockchain, right? So you would think it's, yeah, I mean, it's real Bitcoin is there. So it's, to me, it's like, there's no cost to have like the cost to have, you know, one Bitcoin wallet is the same cost to have a hundred thousand of them. There's, they're just, I mean, the only thing if it's an outrageous flex by somebody really stupid who's inviting, you know, potentially a lot of, uh, you know, hacking and counterfeiting like coming their way, but I I don't know. Yeah, Christian, you want to you want to take this one? And what I'm sure that you, when you saw this article, you immediately went into to uh, blockchain sleuth mode to figure out who it was. Yeah, so I I did a research and I didn't actually found any leads yet. Uh, and, but it's good that there's a community like Arkham right there. I don't know how good is the platform. I'm not uh, like having any engage of this. I'm saying that it's good that there are means of identifying, let's say, big wallets or at least uh, the ones that are in the space and could lead to significant changes in the markets and at least what uh, it counts after that. Uh, so on my research, I used... Um, a tool that uh, it's used, especially in compliance, to see how the things are rolled one together. But I could not find any, any data around it. So, uh, so far, I'm in the blind. But what I think regarding the wallet, it's it's a bit weird that it's in a single address. Because if you look over other chains, for example, Ethereum, where we have smart contracts like Gnosis and others, which are on, on smart contract, right? Then you can have a, a scheme, three people out of five or a different scheme that it adds you more security or at least flexibility around that. So if you lost that key, that's it's it's gone, right? Three billions are locked for forever. My thinking is that um, the person behind it is institutional and it has a good solution if it's like... Not stupid. It has a solution probably with MPC, multi-party computation, where the key actually is split among multiple parties and the level of security, let's say, is sufficient enough to... Not smart, that to be okay to hold 3, mil, 3 billion in a single address. So that's my take and why I, I, I'm thinking that the the person or entity is institutional behind this, this address. Even that with MPC, it's, it's not so easy. If you... MPC, it's a, for the people which are not probably aware of, it's a technology which allows you to split a key in multiple parts. And if you want to perform any action, you need all the parts to work together. And let's say uh, we can split a key in four parts. And if we want to send out, let's say, the Bitcoin from this address, all four of us need to cooperate together. And if one of us loses the key, it's gone. You can no longer do anything out of that. But the good news is that you can have multiple approaches like five out of seven out of 10. So you can still have some flexibility, but it's still very risky. Yeah. And, and, and you know, we're, we're uh, at YWales, we're a Fireblocks user. I, I love and endorse Fireblocks consistently. So if, you know, if you're managing, you know, well under $3 billion and you just go, look, I want to be able to sleep at night and, and I don't want to do uh, you know, Gnosis or any of these other types of wallets, like it's a great solution. And you can have, you know, auto balancing type things that move it across multiple wallets. But I, I can't, I don't know anyone that would, would, uh, would do this, you know, on, on purpose. Um, yeah. You know, because the other side of this, and Alex to jump in here, as an AI expert, you know, the holy grail of quantum to quantum computing is eventually coming. And I think that's the biggest, you know, concern that a lot of us in, in blockchain are going to have is, you know, true quantum computing, not like, hey, it's a little bit faster or whatever the case is, but like true, true quantum computing, um, theoretically can break these things, you know, in, in, in hours or minutes. 
I mean, granted, I think we have to completely rethink the world when true quantum computing come about because it basically breaks all encryption, encryption right? So, and yeah, forget about crypto. It, it's uh, uh, all of our digital daily life. That includes yeah, all finance, basically all financial related items and communications and many other use cases will completely yeah the, the, the paradigm would be completely shifted like there, there's many things that we depend on all of a sudden like no no longer can be relied upon so that's certainly a big problem um but yeah i do i do think that like this is less about uh, yeah I, I personally cannot think of a, a operate operational efficiency or, or, or slightness in doing this i gotta think there's some kind of message right like it, it's, it's a flex it's a you know, way to show off, way to, you know, other, other things than making it um, more fault tolerant or, or more secure. To, I, I uh, will be secure that $2 billion. Yeah, I, I saw a couple of people thinking, you know, this is Robin Hood, this is an exchange. <laughs> I'm just going to be, I'm going to be really clear. I, I will be floored if this is an exchange and someone's going to get fired for doing this. Um, because there's, there's, it, I, I agree with you. It's most likely a flex. It's, it's, they've got some like, I, I don't even know. Like it could be, you know, there's, there's large family offices that are worth, you know, 20, 30, $40 billion. And somebody could say, you know, Hey Billy, will you just put a bunch of Bitcoin in our wallet? And the dude's got a, a you know, single, <laughs> single hardware key. And he's just like, I don't know. This is what I'm doing. I mean, it literally could be something as silly as that, um, where they were told, you know, take, take 10% of our net worth. And, and, you know, we've got $30 billion, go put $3 billion in a wallet. Cause we don't want to manage it. We're not, we just, this is storage thing, but you know, again, and we'll have the quantum computing, uh, talk a little bit later. Um, Let's stick with AI, um, and I think it's really interesting to see this. Uh, currently, Hollywood is on strike, uh, and and you know they're they're listing a lot of reasons. But if you kind of push all those away, I, I think there's a lot of fear of, of AI. Um, you know, because let's be clear, Hollywood's been struggling for a while. Uh, there's there's a lot of very thin plots that are that are very uh, you know not not great. So. Um, YouTube uh, unveils the YouTube Music AI Incubator to address the impact of AI technology in the music industry. The initiative involves collaboration with artists, songwriters, producers to develop a compensation structure for AI-generated music. Universal Music Group uh, is partnering with YouTube to address the challenge of using artists' work for AI model training without proper compensation. Uh, YouTube hints at an implementation system uh, similar to a content ID to ensure rights holder uh, are paid for their AI music usage. This is a, a big deal. And I think there's a lot, I've, I've had so many conversations with this um, because AI has to be trained. And, you know, it, it, it generally isn't going to make up something from scratch. Uh, it's generally going to go with, you know, hey, take the, the last, you know, top 100 songs and generate me a new one. And you'd be, it comes up with some really good stuff. Um, and we've seen them seen, you know, some amazing innovation by AI. It's just going to continue to get better and better and better. But if you're training using it to train off people's rights, um, you know, how can they be compensated? How can they be rewarded? Because if the next hit song, you know, generates, you know, a hundred million dollars, uh, but it used somebody else's work to do so, um, you know, there's, there's already, you know, Vivek, we'll, we'll jump to you real quick and then we'll, we'll go to Alex. I mean, there's already, you know, clear pass on, on how this is supposed to work. Um, but right now there's no transparency in what AI is using uh, to make, you know, to kind of generate these things. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know, hugely important. Um, you know, reminded me a little bit of um, the, the Napster into iTunes, uh, you know, uh, evolution you know, a couple decades ago. So, I mean, I think, I think what YouTube is trying to do here, which I, in Universal as well, um, and I've also, you know, talked with folks in both of those camps about this. I mean, they're really just obviously trying to get ahead of the avalanche of litigation now that is like already started over the next, and will continue on for the next few years. And it's really, there's really two things that we're talking about, right? On the one hand, you've got like the Sarah Silverman case and a bunch of other ones where plaintiffs are suing, you know, Google and Midjourney, Stability AI, like all the other you know, AI tools out there for the practice of essentially scraping, right? So saying, hey, you can't um, train your AI uh, with my copyrighted content, right? Yeah. And the the law right now on that, you know, obviously it's a gray area. These cases have been filed. Um, one person's opinion, mine, you know, is that we had this Google Oracle case that, you know, spiraled for about a decade up and down the Supreme Court a couple times, which kind of came out and was decided three years ago at the very beginning of the pandemic, which said that, um, you know, 
which kind of leads me to believe that I think the scraping in and of itself might be considered fair use. Uh, so, and then that would lead us to, you got to focus on what the actual output is, right? And, and that's sort of where the law is today, right? So, you know, and, and as you said, there are frameworks already, right? People have been sampling music for decades, right? And if you get, if you sample too much and you're too close and you don't license, well, you get sued for copyright infringement, right? If you want to use something, right? Um, like Vanilla Ice tried to use under pressure, you know, 30 years ago, right? Um, didn't get a license, right? Well, I ended up having to give away a bunch of the profits, right? So there, there's already a, a scheme and a structure in place for this stuff. But what I think YouTube and Universal are doing, and I think ultimately what the studios and the guilds and things are in unions going to have to figure out in Hollywood is let's make a deal, right? Let, yeah. Let's let's not leave it to ju- the judiciary. Let's not rely on these like uh, pockets of the Copyright Act to figure out you know how this stuff's going to work. Let's just do a deal, right? And I think yeah. um, what YouTube and Universal are doing is sort of uh, something that you know Grimes did on a much more uh, grassroots basis a few months ago when she said, "Hey, listen." You want to use my voice in the song? That's fine. Pay me fifty percent of any profits, right? And, yeah. and 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 you know, people kind of laughed at that. But I think over the last few months, a lot of people have sort of stopped laughing at it and realized, like, okay, maybe she was onto something because this is sort of a, a you know, anytime we have a new technology, um, you know, people want to adopt it, right? And I think with this one, it being so powerful and so um, broadly useful across industries, right? Like Alex said before, um, you know, I think. The, striking a deal kind of allows people to then probably be adventurous in the short term uh, with some assurances for shareholders that you're not going to end up in some, you know, in, in a whole bunch of giant lawsuits. Yeah. And, and, and it really could speed up the, the pace of innovation because, you know, with things like smart contracts and being able to automatically distribute profits, like, you know, Hey, I, I used, you know, these, these two chords of your song, I use your words from the song. I, I use this influence or the, whatever the case is, you know, build these things into smart contracts. And as you're being paid out, you know, from you know Spotify or iTunes or whoever else, like you pay all the other rights holders and immediately there's, there's no waiting. There's this. So I, I think that there's, you know, it's a double-edged sword, you know, you've, you've blocked, and, and kind of Web3 with AI can, can solve a lot of problems. Um, yeah. But, you know, Alex is, is something that you've spent a lot of time on. You know, I, I think that traditional writers should be worried because um, even if we're talk, not talking about using, you know, existing things, you know, people can extrapolate and work, you know, by themselves much quick quicker than having, you know, these giant teams writing and formatting and researching. Um, you know, what, what's your thoughts on kind of what's happening with Hollywood and, and the AI integration that's, that's hitting it right now? Yeah, I mean, in one way, I think this is a very exciting use case to combine Web3 and, and AI so that you're being able to identify who the rights holders are and then be able to distribute those um, those, those um, profit like, back to the right people and then do it in a scalable manner. Uh, I mean, I think it is also a fact that blockchain is not at that level of scale to do, I think, to actually do this in with the masses of the, the kind of data that we're talking about. Thinking about the AI side, I am actually not that. Ex- um, I, I, I will be quite concerned being a creator and, and, and content holder. I think like this is a, it's, it's a fair to ask for this, right? Um, but if you look at again, because the, the current technology is actually very similar to the to the tech that uh, you know DeepMind and, and 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 even IBM was using, you know, many years ago for like playing chess and playing Go, right? And and what what you what you observe is that the computer, the algorithm or the, the AI actually figure out or derive new moves from existing moves, right? So in a way, it didn't need to look at all the master's game. It just had to play itself long enough time. The algorithm figure out how to play yeah. a better game of Go that actually yeah. uh, and playing moves that humans haven't thought about before. So you can imagine that, like in, in, in the content space, any kind of content, like writing, you know, art, um, you know, movies, so on, that basically every human being uh, willing to, well, that, that can create some form of art, uh, different different levels of how good they are, but they would provide. There's, there's enough people in the world that are willing to provide that uh, their data for basically for free. For training, gotcha. right? So, it just so, so basically, you just push the, the 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 initial state to a lower form, but the, the whole iterative nature of AI is that it eventually arrives to the higher form. 
So I'm, I'm not sure that, you know, asking for right distribution will get us there. It, it might be more of a delay than, uh, than the, the actual problem, the actual solving solution as a solution. Awesome. Yeah. You know, and, and Christian is a, is a coder, you know, your, your code is your, is your art. Um, you know, how, you know, and, and you've created some very, you know, uh, intricate, uh, solutions and elegant solutions. You know, how do you feel about, uh, people being able to kind of reuse your code or, or, or anything like that? I think at least in, in software development, uh, there is a paradigm with open source, which already transitioned for a few years, right? So I think we are ahead of the curve, at least in the code, like people are putting, uh, code out there and letting other communities to build on top. We have like the, the licenses that we currently have at least in software development are very clear. Like there are a bunch of them, like seven to, to 10 probably, which are very known. Others can be derivations of that. But once you see an MIT or an GPL or whatever license, you're pretty, pretty aware of the facts that you uh, are able to do or not able to do. So at least in the code, I think we are a bit ahead of the curve. Now, back to the point, I think Alex pointed a very good, uh, let's say, pain, the fact that there is enough, not enough data in the space to train it and have that, uh, let's say, start from, from the scratch very high. But I think with other technologies, even with uh, homomorphic encryption, I'm, a, I'm, I'm aware of, let's say, projects which are using homomorphic encryption to train models using encrypted data. That means you can even train, let's say, your biometric uh, data right with those models the mm. issue which comes after right now at least right now it's a, a performance issue because you require a great amount of computing power and that's one downside but then if you think over the let's say ai uh, thoughts is that once you bring in the value in the model you can no longer remove it right so if you have a model trained let's say on a thousand of uh, let's say DNAs, you cannot remove, let's say, I want to remove my DNA. It's embedded in the model, so you cannot extract it. So I think right there, there are some options to work to, to enhance that, at least to have a tracking of the data that is being inferred in the model. It's being of like largely. And I've seen an interesting project. I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I don't have the requirements like to understand specifically how it works, but I, I saw a project which if you know how um, brute forcing a password does, right? You have A, B, and you generate all the combinations from five to seven to eight letters, uh, right? And these guys were generating actually brute forcing uh, songs based on Do Re Mi, right? Mm -hmm. So it has all the songs and they generated so far like five billion songs uh, and they're like registering that data to have IP based on that. And they're helping other, let's say, artists that are losing uh, rights on IP with those databases and actually for the public good. But they could transform in the in the bad, let's say, scenario where you could brute force all the songs. You just put an IP on there and then you're asking for, for fees just because I generated and traded market ahead of time, right? So I think we will see some interesting... Uh, ideas in the space in the following years. It, you know, it's it's clear. You know, as, as we talk about AI every week, and 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 you know, there's there's always a couple different perceptions. And by the way, that's our last article, so we're gonna you know kind of end here shortly. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting to see that the world is going to take a very big turn, and whether you want to believe in it or not, you know, this is this is the you know. Web three, which is the next iteration of the internet. Uh, web one was read. You know, you can consume data. Web, web two was read write. You could, you know, consume, and then you could also put things out for other people to see, such as Twitter and Facebook. Um, and as Web three, it's read write and own. Um, and and there's there's other tools around how you're going to create ownership there, and whether it's you're creating new content, whether you're acquiring content, whether you're acquiring you know, wealth or assets. You know, there, there's there's going to be this new tool set that's needed. And and Google is clearly like I I, I hate using search engines now um, that that aren't, you know, attached to an AI bot that allows me to kind of like filter through. And I think what's interesting is, you know, ChatGTP for, for a minute had, you know, um, being integrated and I'd ask it some very simple questions and, and you could see it like go to website, reading, scrolling, going back and, you know, go through all these articles and they eventually turned it off um, probably because it was so inefficient and it showcased, you know, I think how bad uh, some human generated content really was at explaining what these core questions were. So, you know, my, my point being is, is that the world is going to change. You know, AI is, is, a, is a piece of the puzzle that we're going to see. Um, but anyone who's, whether you're a content creator or a content consumer or a content acquirer, um, you know, we all are going to 
to really have to rethink our lives. And it's going to be a very dynamic shift. The smarter the stuff is, um, because like, you know, if, if you're, if you're doing some very basic work, um, you know, it's time to get skilled in, in, in a variety of other areas. I mean, you really are going to have to take a look and say, you know, horse and buggies are going away. It's going to be, you know, gasoline vehicles. And so this is going to be one of those shifts that we're going to watch in real time happen, uh, similar to others. Um, gentlemen, I, I thank you all for the time today. Is there any other uh, closing thoughts you guys have on any of the articles we had as we uh, roll out here through the end of this? Alex? I mean, I think that's a great way to end on. Um, it is a very quickly changing world that in, in yeah, between even just AI and blockchain. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to, to, to be, to, to have the privilege to, to witness it and to participate in it. And, uh, We'll see how it goes in the next five, 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. Christian, any closing thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate, as Alex mentioned, to, to be part of this and seeing the things happening, like the shift in lots of things. And I think the, the key idea is to be very adaptive to the things that are appearing to be open and to see how you could embed those, let's say, technologies or at least new trends into the current ones that we, we have. That's my, my takeaway from this uh, talk. Awesome. And uh, Vivek, bring us home. Yeah, no, I, I agree with both everything Christian and uh, Alex are saying. And I think it's a very exciting time to just be sort of living in this kind of a world where, where things are evolving uh, in this way. And I also think that it's, it's always good, a good reminder that, you know, something like generative AI, which I do agree with you, Jay, is, is, is it not only has the power to transform, I think it's already transforming sort of this world that we're living in. And, and, but it's, it's a tool for enhancement, right? It's not necessarily this tool for replacement, uh, as so many people are, are, are concerned of. And I think when you talk about these last two things that we talked about, you know, music and then Hollywood, there is a huge, huge, um, factor here with, with the adoption of all this stuff, which is, you know, the way it works today, for example, is a musician, you know, or, or Christian or anybody creating intellectual property are not going to simply allow anybody to use their IP for any reason, right? And that's because we are human beings and we have feelings and emotions and we have opinions about things. And so there's always going to be a little, you know, uh, tug, which I think is a healthy, you know, uh, give and take between technology and, and humans. Um, and I think what's really unique, and if you look, I think, you know, if any of us are lucky enough to be alive 100 years from now, or some historian two, 300 years, or, you know, from in the future, are going to look back at, I think, this 20, 30, 40 years as a really exciting time where there were these first conversations between humans and technology um, that really kind of helped us break through into the future. And so I think it's, a, you know, a very, um, grateful thing for all of us to be able to participate in that discourse. I love that. And I've got my fingers crossed that we hit singularity uh, while, while we're all still here on this planet so we can exist for thousands of years uh, with, without the consumption and everything else. So for everyone, uh, thank you for the time. Why Whales, we'll catch you guys next time. Take care. Why Whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywales.com. YWales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.